Hello, and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name's Wayne Wise, one of the rare episodes where Mav is not here to host this stuff. But I'm here, and my co-host Hannah is with us as well. How's it going, Hannah? So, you know, I've never actually gotten stuck doing the intro. It's always been you. Yeah. <laughs> I think Katya's done it a couple times. Yeah. So. I've always I've always managed to pawn it off on one of the two of you. Uh, <laughs> For two, over 200 episodes, I've managed to do this. Um, and I'm sure just hearing my voice has confused our regular listeners already. <laughs> well, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's to, Day, Hannah. Yeah, I, I wrote a poem for our listeners. Oh, okay. I can't believe I did this. Okay. Roses <laughs> are red. Violets are blue. Fox Popcast loves our listeners. If you love us too, leave us a five-star review. <laughs> yes. Yes. We need more five-star reviews. So I, I guess it's Valentine's Day. Assuming everything goes well, and this is post when it's supposed to, it's Valentine's Day. I guess I, we're just going to jump right into it. There's only the two of us. We don't have quite as much silly banter as we normally do. This is an episode that Hannah and I have been planning for two or three years now, and something just kept coming up and, and getting in the way of it. We've talked in the past about, we're focused on specific genre. And so today, in, in honor of Valentine's Day, we're going to be talking about romance. Like, I'm what, so what, excited. What, and I think we, we talked a little bit before we started recording and started our pre-show banter, and I, I'm going to have to repeat some of this because I thought it was hysterical. Is you, you said you didn't, you COVID hit, and, and we didn't. You just didn't want the episode to be named "Love in the Time of COVID." Yeah, but but, yeah. but here we are, two years later, and that's what's still happening. So. It's sort of like I put off going to the dentist for two years, and then because COVID, and I realized, you know, maybe I should not die of teeth while waiting for a pandemic. <laughs> while waiting not to die of COVID. So so in the same way, but different, because romance is much more fun than going to the dentist. Built into the dentist, <laughs> we have now decided to do a romance episode and I just want to point out Wayne that in the blog I wrote about like happy endings and all the examples you gave were of tragic love stories <laughs> yeah well and I think that's uh that's part of what we'll talk about I guess yeah. what makes it that and that's funny that you noticed that and, and I probably because I don't read as much just contemporary stuff that is specifically romance genre and, and that's something I want to talk about how romance is included in, in everything everything I read has some element of romance in it but what makes the specific genre. But in the meantime, we do have a couple of guests. We have a returning guest, Ayani. Welcome back. Hi, hello. Happy to be hello. here. As a reminder to our, our listeners, Ayani is the co-host of the Sex, Love, and Literature podcast. was on our Pour Some Sexy on Let podcast yes. episode. So, so welcome back. Yeah, thank you for having me. I am super excited to get to talk romance with you all. I feel like I'm going to be a little bit of an outlier here because while I haven't done a lot of romance reading specifically recently, I I do watch a lot of romance television shows okay. and romance films. So, and also some romance games, which I hope you all will allow me to wax poetic oh. about a little oh, bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So I'm just super excited to talk love. Well, good. Well, let me introduce our other guest. Uh, this is our expert, uh, not to put too much weight <laughs> oh, on boy. our show. <laughs> 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 I'm going to introduce you by the name that I know I'm going to call you for the rest of the episode. This is my friend, Kristen. <laughs> Kristen and I met through the comic convention scene many years ago. She was writing some self-published comics and we hung out in Artist Alley and got to know each other and over time became friends. She worked at Chatham University when I was teaching there. But more importantly, Kristen is a published romance author. And Ooh. I'm going to let her tell her origin story of how that happened. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to the Hi. show. This is long overdue. It is. Thank you for having me, Wayne. I'm very excited. I guess my origin story is really scattered, which you know. I, I started out writing comics. I wrote 
wrote a comic called Hate Your Friends about a record store under a different pen name back in the day. And then I've always written in some form or another. I have done a lot of different writing. And I was I started a novel that was sort of a literary novel and sort of then put that into the drawer. And then one day I was traveling and I picked up a paperback in a store. It was a, just a pharmacy by Eloisa James. And then I got immediately addicted to romance. Like from, from the moment that I read this book, I finished the book and I was like, okay, I love this and I want to do it. So I was like, I can do this. You know, I started in genre in comics. And so genre wasn't really like a stumbling block for me. And I sat down on my couch after work every day for two to three hours and wrote a book called A Ban Above Reproach. And this was in 2013. And then I submitted it to the thing, a thing that doesn't exist now, the Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award. And I won the romance category, which was an entirely strange experience. They, I went to Seattle. We had a, an award ceremony. They published my book. Amazon Montlake Romance, and specifically their offshoot, published my second book, The 13th Girl. Then I wrote a third one that I have not yet published because I sort of did a, a little swerve. I started writing games. I don't know if anybody knows Atome. I wrote for Voltage for a while oh. and it, it, <laughs> I'm so psyched that you know this. <laughs> so, so I wrote for Voltage for a while where I wrote about getting stranded on an island with a billionaire or getting transported to a magical fairyland where you're in an affair with a pastry chef. Like it was a really fun <laughs> job. And this is all ghostwriting. So none of it says Evelyn Price, but it was a great, great deal of fun. And, and, and then fun. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make you pause for a second. Evelyn okay. Price is the pen name you write under. I don't think oh, I yes. said that when we I introduced go you. over that, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, if, so if you're trying to find... Me, yeah, that's my pen name and that's my Twitter too. So it's Price with a Y. And we'll um, link this stuff in show notes, so. So I went on from writing Voltage Games to I'm now currently working on a narrative novel that's a choose-your-own-adventure browser game. So it'll end up being about 100K words, but it's basically like getting to be the heroine in a romance novel. So I'm contracted for Choice of Games Hearts Choice Line, and you'll be able to log on, play that, and it is called Scandal Notes. It's about you are a flapper in the 1920s, nice. and you can romance whoever you want. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I got from there to here in a lot of weird steps. I had bands too. I did a lot of music journalism. It's a very strange, yeah, it's a weird path, but <laughs> it's cool. That's amazing. And also, I think it seems pretty typical of a lot of romance writers, like like based on, and I am not an expert, I just follow like Courtney Milan and other romance writers on Twitter. Oh, Courtney, they, we have a lot of lawyers in Romancelandia. Oh, yeah. Like she was talking recently on Twitter about like, how people might assume that writing's a full-time job and that authors make enough money, but really like you're doing the thing uh, that you've already talked about. Um, no, like, pretty looking. much most of the books that you read, the people who are writing them have other jobs. And it's so interesting to look the background of a lot of romance writers because they, you know, they have PhDs in fields like history and English, or like they work in libraries, and that's how they became exposed to some of the historical stuff they write in romances, or they're lawyers or doctors, and it's just like such a wide range of. They're Stacey Abrams. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's. Um, it's pretty great how uh, varied it is, and it just comes. It you a lot of people are like, okay, well, there's this image of a romance novelist that's like dumpy. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, and that is not it at all. It's the same thing as like, there's an image of the covers as like Fabio, and that's not mm -hmm. it at all. So mm -hmm. people have very outdated stereotypes about what romance actually is. So to that point, a very general question, but so what is romance? Like what is, how do we define the genre? And, and that's certainly one of my questions. I, you know, as I said, when we started this, you know, I, I read, you know, I read a lot of different genres and romance seems to be a part of almost everything I read. There's a subplot mm. of romance. You have a friend who said, well, all these Marvel movies, why do they always got to have a romance in it? So, so what does it <laughs> mean when fun. romance is, yeah, but what does it mean when romance is the foreground genre? How do, how do you separate so, that out? If we're talking capital R romance, there are, there's capital R romance and then there are a bunch of genres within that. So a bunch of subgenres. You could have a paranormal, a historical, we all know this, but to qualify as a capital R romance, like the, you have to have an H, what we call an HEA or an HFN, a happily ever after or a happily for now. So the mm -hmm. couple has to be together or like happy. So you don't have to have a marriage. You don't have to have a baby. It just has to be a positive outlook for the main couple. And it also has to focus on the romance. So the, there can be plenty of plots surrounding it. There can be subplots. You can be in space. There can be aliens. <laughs> like the center of the story is still the romance. Yeah. And I, I actually like, because I am not a contemporary romance scholar, I, I did some research about like definition came to be. And it's partly to do, I think, and please, the experts in the room tell me if my research is not great. But it, it seems to be like the, there's the, something called the Romance Writers of America, which is a writers association oh, that was boy, found that's in. Oh, worms. Oh yeah. Oh, I know. I know. We, I know, and I know we're gonna have to talk about that can of worms. Why I'm actually bringing this up? But it was founded in 1980 by Vivian Stevens, and I has since been a member, and I am no longer a member. Yeah. I suspect <laughs> I know why. But to put a pin in that, but actually, but not really, because about to open a can of worms. That's a bit older by talking about something that happened um like about goodness like two decades ago because it's now 2022 um and i'm reading something that was originally published in 20 not 2020 2000 so uh jennifer cruz wrote for the romance writers report about the conflict going on within the wra about the definition of the genre they argued over whether or not to include happy endings because then it would exclude things like gone with the wind which you know what if you want to exclude Gone in the Wind, that's perfectly fine with me. Because we could crap. just never, we could pretend like yeah. that book never existed. And what, yeah. that would I don't work. know what you're talking yeah, about. Exactly. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> exactly. What is that? Um, no, forget it. Don't tell me. And then they like wanted to, you know, like also the major thing, which they didn't apologize for until 2016. Part of the group wanted to have romance defined as between a man and a woman instead of persons. Mm, horrible mistake. Yeah. And Nora Roberts was like, nope. We call her La Nora. But they like, they all post the, the write-up of this. And, but the whole thing is that they, they like, they tortured themselves over every word about like happy ending, satisfying ending. They at one point considered something that, what was it? That, um, that ends in emotional justice was originally like one of the considerations. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting phrase. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. There has been like some questions about what romance is 
is over the years. And mu- much like everything in the genre, in my opinion, it was a lot of it was like very politically motivated, like a lot of like underlying tensions that like are evident in the drama with the RWA right now. And with some of these novels, if you read them, came out in this definition controversy as well. Well, you know how it is when you get a bunch of chicks together. No, tell me. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that so there have been so many tussles over the definition of romance or who should get to define romance. It's strange to me because to me, I look at romance and I see that there is room for every possible type of romance. It mm-hmm. seems so wide open to me and it's everybody can find something that they want. And if you're not into shifters or something like that, then <laughs> don't read shifters. If you don't like romances about pirates, don't read pirates. Like I had always been attracted to romance because it's like such a big sandbox, you know, and there's room for everybody to write what they want when it comes down to it. Yeah. And that's like such a good point. And also I think brings me to sort of a more personal question for everyone, which is like, why is romance important to you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think for me, this is going to kind of sound silly, but I love stories that focus around building of relationships and what I really get into. It's funny. I was just talking to my spouse about this the other day, but watching how two people come to mean the world to each other is such a I don't know a magical experience to watch unfold. Yeah I completely agree (laughs) Yeah because we've all gone through this experience of somebody who's a stranger to us even just like thinking about friendships or what have you but somebody Mm. who you've never seen before you've never met before and suddenly they're like one of the most important things in your world and I think that's such There's plenty of romance in friendships Oh yeah (laughs) and I think that's just such a beautiful experience to watch but also I like to cry sometimes when I watch things and romance really brings out that emotional response in me. So I know if I'm reading a good romance or watching one that I'm going to get some cathartic tears out of it. And yeah, so I think for me, that's what is really fun about, I guess, the romances that I'm not interacting with. Gaming and playing romances, that's a whole nother can of worms entirely. But yeah, yeah, it's the tears, but also the watching the emotions unfold for me. And I'm a tremendous sucker for romance in the stuff I read. I'm a big softy when it comes to that stuff. And I, I love that aspect of it and I tend to be drawn to the characters that are involved in that I mean if, even if, you know, if I'm reading you know, action adventure spy books or whatever if there's a really good romance in there that tugs at my heartstrings I really dig that shit it's more <laughs> difficult to find something without a romance than to find a romance it's there's usually romance in most other stories yeah yeah exactly and, and I'm drawn to that in ways I, I don't know and you're not to be horribly cliche but you guys typically aren't the the audience for the romance thing, but I, I find myself being a pretty big sucker for that subplot in a lot of the stuff I consume. I think a um, lot of guys would be surprised how much they might like some romance books. <laughs> yeah. They're, honestly, like, and, you know, I don't want to spend all day being talking to defending the genre because it doesn't need defense. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to give those people who are misogynistic too much air. But romance novels, hands down, some of them are the smartest books I've ever read. They understand the world. They understand how emotions are not only like, it's not only just cathartic and beautiful, although it is and pleasurable in that sense, but they also understand how relationships can help reshape 
shape the world in really mm. interesting ways. And also the people who write these books do so much research. Like Courtney Milan's oh. like newest <laughs> book, like she she writes about the telegraph and like megalodons, <laughs> and that's amazing. It's so cool. <laughs> only, only because I just I relate, and it's it is really easy for romance writers to get trapped in a research hole. Mm-hmm. I actually think yeah. that is a big problem for romance writers because we can be like, okay, even if you're like, I'm going to set this book in the 90s, then you're suddenly like, I've listened to 80 hours of Soundgarden. That's the way That's... I research everything I do. My new ones in the 1920s, so I'm like listening to old swing music and things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, I mean, I, I think that's part of the appeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I also, I at the risk of sounding like a stalker, I, I read The 13th Earl, actually. <laughs> I love, love stalkers. That, that you incorporated, <laughs> I love that you incorporated Victorian spiritualism. Because oh, so it's, fun. It's so cool. I Yeah, I, I uh, love that aspect of that book as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For listeners who don't know, my, my PhD was in 19th century literature. And so that is like the, the romance novels that I tend to focus on. And spiritualism is something I don't know a whole lot about, except that Arthur Conan Doyle and Dickens, to a degree, were like interested in it. And in the 1920s, when Agatha Christie disappeared for a couple days, Conan Doyle took one of her gloves to like a spiritualist <laughs> expert and was like, help me find her. He was such a whack job. I like, he, <laughs> Conan Doyle, he, Conan Doyle used to fight with Houdini over a lot of stuff too. Like he's, I probably know like a little bit too much about this, but like Conan Doyle was also one of the people that bought into the fairy pictures. Oh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, the pictures of the pixies. Oh my God, fairies are real. Like Conan Doyle really, he was about that. And like they're like, he and Houdini had this relationship of back and forth, like being belief, skepticism, belief. They would have like intellectual conversations anytime they ran into each other. There's a really great book called Masters of Mystery about that. But obviously, yes, like the 13th Earl got me like completely lost in in all of that type of stuff. My The third book is about illusionists. So it sort of goes on from there. Seance tables and the people who exposed mediums, magicians mostly, sort of very much went hand in hand. And that era is so, so fascinating. Plus, a seance is like just the perfect setting for romantic shenanigans. Like, it, oh, there's, yeah. it's a quiet, <laughs> dark room. You know? there, there's tapping going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Things that go uh, bump in the night, so to speak. Yeah, in the 13th yeah. Earl, there's like also a dumbwaiter. Like I had, I re- there's oh, yeah. a, there's even a, there's, a, I forgot about this. There's full on a garden maze. Like, I went all out for the 13th Earl. It was amazing. I, I am not just saying this because you're our guest, but I really enjoyed it. Like Thank I highly so recommend much. our listeners. And like also, if you're not a romance genre person and you're still listening to this episode, you should, I think that if you listen to our show and generally enjoy it, you would enjoy the 13th Earl and also honestly many romance novels because they're amazing and they have things like Megalodon stuff in them. <laughs> you can <laughs> find anything in romance like yeah. Chuck Tingle. <laughs> Do any of you guys know Chuck Tingle? No. No. <laughs> okay. Chuck Tingle is a fascinating case in romance. Yeah. Chuck Tingle writes these like 
Absolutely epic, just crazy stories. Some are about fucking airplanes and like most of them have like <laughs> something about butt in the title. Let's read this one. Pounded in the butt by my bizarre assumption that Chuck Tingle books are just covers and not actual books. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not. They're actual books. So and a lot of them he sends some of them goes the money goes to charity like trans wizard Harriet Porber and the bad boy Parasauroophilus. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just had if you guys had never seen that before, you absolutely had yeah, to see no, it. Yeah, no, thank, thank you for sharing. It's important <laughs> that our listeners know this. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think that r- romance novels are great and also I love that, and, and this is not true of everything in the genre technically, but I love that there's a genre that for the most part is like women have desires. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's amazing. Let's lean into it also they can have really cool sex or they can not have sex and have really intense connections that are super Mm -hmm. hot and we're not going to shame them for those things because you know i'm like reading thomas hardy over here and it's woman has sex woman has sex scarlet array or she's dead you know or she's dead there's two victorian lit things off the top of my head i can think of where a woman has sex before marriage and doesn't die and they're both poetry so (laughs) not great for the victorians Thankfully, we have it much better now. Yeah. So I, I did want to read a couple of comments that sort of get at this question of some other things that people like about the genre. And one, one person, Katie Boyd, said, one thing I didn't know about romance, because it's not really a genre I read, until I started listening to book podcasts, is the rule that it always has a happy ending, or at least a happy for now ending. I had no idea. And a lot of people on the podcast talk about turning to romance as comfort reads for that mm. specific aspect. Not necessarily because they want to read about people falling in love, though they do as well, but because real life is so full of anxiety and all of this crap at the world, they want to escape <laughs> into a world that they're, they know going in, no matter what shenanigans are gotten into, in the end the correct couple will be together and it will be happy. I think this might be one of the keys to its popularity and um, including a lot of mm-hmm. things. It's very yeah. attractive, right? To be assured that you're going to go in and have an experience where you're not going to feel desolate at the end of it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. With television shows, they there's no telling these days like it, you <clears throat> excuse me the tone of shows are all over the place although there are a lot of great romantic shows like Parks and Rec like the good well I'm very Mike Shore heavy so I'm like the office <laughs> same <laughs> the, the good, good place oh, yeah the good place yeah we did mm-hmm. a whole episode place. on the good place oh, it's cheating. our favorite show it's, oh, it's the favorite show of Vox podcast <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I, I find that because you know, years ago doing some research into horror as a genre, one of the defining qualities of it was being left with that feeling of unease. Mm-hmm. That even if the monster is destroyed, mm-hmm. there is that possibility of its return. That darkness still exists, no matter that you winning is triumphing is at best temporary. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you write a paranormal romance with horror and love? Is that dichotomy? Is that what creates the tension in these books? I mean, in my opinion, I think that's what sets something as either horror or or a romance, right? Or which comes first in how you're smushing the genres together. Because a genre that, or a, a book that ends with a sense of unease, then to me doesn't feel like a romance. That's not what I came to it for, you know? Right. I mean, hybrid genres are of course possible. I know my co-host Corinne and I watched a K-drama called Daybok Realty, in which it was like, it was billed as a horror rom-com. And there were definitely things that freaked us out, but the overall ending was kind of an uplifting, happy, ending. Shout out to Corinne too because horror rom-coms are like one of her favorite genres of television. <laughs> so I might have to like pick 
her brain this on really this. really intrigues me. Like, I would also like to someday write a horror romance for sure. Like, that aspect of it definitely intrigues me because it's such, like, it has to be such a delicate balance. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. guess, like, warm bodies would qualify mm-hmm. as a horror romance. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of anything else off the bat. That's, like, the only one that really jumps to my head. I mean, we did an episode, not to plug our own show, we did do an episode on, like, loves and love and monsters. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure, like, everything would qualify as a horror romance. But, you know, like, I argued on that show that The Mummy is a romantic comedy. Pretty much. I'd, I'd buy into that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about The Addams Family, which actually, like, the more and more I think about The Addams Family, which I think is, you know, one of the things that should be patently obvious about it, and I'm just coming to it, like, fully formed late, is that the kind of horrific things about The Addams Family actually aren't so horrifying. They're just, like, challenging the things that are actually horrifying about, like, the heterosexual marriage plot. <laughs> yeah, abnormality and family challenging those accepted standards of what the normal nuclear family looks like. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I mean, like Jane Eyre. I actually argued was not a romance, but a horror show because it, right, it, it leaves not. that sense of unease. Like, the book isn't a you, romance either. I mean, they really either want is you Wuthering Heights. Like many no. people. <laughs> Many things um, that get qualified yeah. as romance are just not. Yeah, it's, yes. Yeah. I mean, also, like, Rebecca, like, mm. if there's a sense of unease that the there's only something, like, societal or physical or what have you holding a man back from abusing you mm. in all the possible ways that there are abuse, like Jane Eyre, like, he has financial abuse, emotional abuse, like, he threatens to rape her at one point, like, obliquely. Mm. If that is, if that's the only thing holding the guy back from being like that, it's not a romance. And I hope that one day we'll finally leave Jane Eyre behind. We'll Everyone's get there. Favorite. Like, that's just romance at all. Anyway, I, that's about my hatred of Jane Eyre and not. Yeah. But, I um, mean, gothic romance plays with a lot of those themes, you know, and a, a lot of gothic romance, like the horror is actually a metaphor for things like that, for abuse. Yeah. For So gothic romance, I guess, is a little more difficult to deal with, I guess. It's a, a little more goes into that. This is just making me think about Crimson Peak. Would you call that so, a like, romance? Crimson Peak? It's not. Yeah. It's a gothic romance, but I think gothic romances don't require a happily ever after. Ooh. I really want to do a gothic episode for Halloween, just throwing that out there for the listeners and anyone on this podcast who would like to be invited back for that. Oh, I um, would come back. I uh, would be I just want, All right. Also, I just want to talk about Mexican gothic and Crimson Peak and some 18th century novels. I'm not going to lie. This is fully my agenda. I'm just laying it out there. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, I also like I to shift a little bit. I do want to read out another comment because I think it might speak to some of the things that Ayani, you might be interested sure. in. Dana Seiler says, I went through a phase as a teenager when I was very interested in Danielle Steele novels. I think there is a certain thrill in the erotic aspect of them, the emotions around flirting, not knowing if the other likes you back, the jealousy all provide drama. One of the things about literature is that it can transport you inside the world of varying degrees of realism inside someone else's head. Mm. And romance novels let you be a voyeur in the thrilling parts of someone else's love life when maybe that kind of thing is lacking from your own experience, which, you know, I'm thinking about, and actually this might be for both of you, I'm thinking about, you know, some of the interactive fiction, Mm, like romantic mm -hmm, games mm -hmm. as well could play into this. So Kristen, I'm going to let you go first because you have the actual like game (laughs) writing experience and then Uh, I'll slide in after that. (laughs) I mean, I actually got lost thinking about Danielle Steele's desk the moment that we mentioned her name. (laughs) If, if, If you have not seen Danielle Steele's desk, you can just go ahead and Google that phrase and it is amazing and I can't ever get it out of my mind. 
mind, but she's one of our patron saints. I think that if you're a woman of a certain age and you didn't pick up your mom's Danielle Steele novels or Sydney Sheldon novels and be like, page three, whoa, like, I think a lot <laughs> of us had that experience. Like, I think actually even probably some guys had that experience of like their mother leaving I, I, around novels. I had, I had that experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. My, my mother's were always in the bathroom, which is absolutely oh, hilarious. Yep. That's yeah. what my mother's like too. The novels I wasn't supposed to read. I was like, but everyone's in yes, here. Exactly. I don't, I'm going to read it. Everyone's in here all the time. We're all taking baths in here. I don't have anything to read. Of course I'm reading this book. <laughs> Holy crap. But let's see. What was the other part of that question, Hannah? Oh. After Danielle's dad. So like, yeah, I, the, the idea of, you know, like you, you are, you know, put into someone else's life. You get to experience things in a novel you might not be experiencing in your own life. This could, you know, play into like novels, but also interactive fiction. Interactive um, fiction is so fun because mm -hmm. you can have a different experience than the person who might be playing it next to you, you know? And most people, I think when you're reading, you're either putting yourself in the hero or the heroine's mm -hmm. place, mm -hmm. you know, you're identifying with somebody anyway. So with interactive fiction, instead of just identifying, you can make the choices for that person. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, it, it really hits that spot of like, when you're watching a character and you're like, oh, why would you make that choice? <laughs> so this is a way to get around that. It's uh, it is a lot of work for the person writing it, though. Boy, I didn't realize. So when I was writing Voltage, I was writing it was mainly ghost writing, so I didn't really have to code anything or do the choices or anything like that. Now I'm writing using Choice Script for Choice of Games because it's more like a novel way mm -hmm. of writing, and I'm also coding it at the same time. So That's I learned so the coding language. <laughs> yeah, it's it was fun and crazy, and it's taken me over a year to do it but yeah, it should come out this year and it's just you have to think in such a different way because you're like okay if this character makes this choice then now I have these mm. three other ways that they could possibly go and you don't want anyone to run into a problem where they're like well I wish I would have been able to do this mm. mm -hmm. and you didn't give them that option so it's a different way of thinking than in writing a novel yeah. and it's like really opened up like weird storytelling structure stuff for me it's been a very big learning experience so I'm going to try not to fangirl all over you, but I definitely would want to hear more about that at some point. But thinking about the fact that you were writing for Voltage, a few years back, I got really into this game that was called My Forged Wedding Party. That was a Voltage title. <laughs> and I'm thinking a lot about what you're saying about different choices and things like that. Because I noticed for me when I was playing that game, well, A, I only wanted to play the routes of the characters that I was like, oh, you're cute. I'm going to play this route as opposed to some of the other ones whose personalities didn't do mm -hmm. it for me. I was so much more interested in earning the extra happy ending than just going along with the ride to get to the happy ending myself. I was like, oh, what's the right option to make him extra happy so that I can get this extra special, super wonderful happy ending and the special pictures that they give me and all that kind of stuff. So there's this, I don't know, when I'm in it, it's kind of like more than just going along for the ride. It's also, mm -hmm. okay, how do I make this the best romance that I can make it? Right. The, the, the one that I'm writing now like amps that up oh. so it's there's not there's not exactly so it's not graphics it's not even like voltage games where there's just like a bunch of different pictures mm -hmm. and you can see it's more like a novel but we have statistics so every choice that you make affects what your character's statistics are oh, so snap. let me 
So some of my primary statistics, some of my primary statistics for this game are like poise, empathy, fine arts, moxie. So like things that you do affect your knowledge or they affect like people that you meet or they affect your reputation. It is it's really cool to be able to like you can be a different person at the same time that you're making the choices. So it's even more individualized than what Otome was doing with Voltage. I wish you could see my face right now I have on the biggest (laughs) grin because I am so ready. I talk about some of my relationships just in life about like relationship points. Oh, we've leveled up our relationship (laughs) points today. So like, (laughs) I'm into it. I'm into it. Yeah, you can go and play games at Heart's Choice now. There are already some games there that are great. And so you can start those while you're waiting for scandal notes to come out because I still have coding to do. Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Nope, no, we won't talk about it. As someone who not, I I haven't written any uh, romance or active fiction but as someone who's written some interactive fiction and has made a lot of complicated paths my heart goes out to you because <laughs> I, at one point i was just like i'm not even going to code this i'm just going to do it manually because i can't it's right like now trying um, to be a dungeon master for every conceivable player mm-hmm. yeah and also a hundred thousand words is just so that's so much like that's so it's that's so amazing i'm so words. excited <laughs> i'm so excited for you but yeah like i, I think my longest one's been like thirty thousand. i was like that's so much but not really yeah like i you know i i don't know if you have played or have heard of the game marrying mr darcy it's a board like like card game like tabletop card game um, i've heard of it i haven't played it i would i don't think i have anybody who really would play it with me i mean we we're all zoom culture (laughs) now because we are not allowed to see each other yet or are we who knows Uh, (laughs) i don't it changes every week right but like it, it it reminded me a bit of what you're talking about with stats because as a heroine of austin you need to build up your reputation and your beauty and your wittiness to attract you must the right be able man. to play the piano forte <laughs> yeah and, and if you don't have enough correct attributes men won't propose to you and the right men might not propose to you so cold the coldest thing about this game and then i'll stop is that if you don't get a proposal you're going to be an old maid they use the phrase old maid wow spinster yeah would have been a little bit kinder it's a whole thing i really love the game in terms of like how it interprets austin's world and the choices it gives and makes in itself because it's a really interesting way of like how to like look at Pride and Prejudice from a different angle and like, I've taught it and I've played with people some of whom had no idea had never read Pride and Prejudice and they got into it by the end because they were like I don't want to be unmarried and they like <laughs> like really felt the stress um, I mean if um, Wick, if Wickham proposes you would rather be unmarried yeah we always assumed that it would be very unfortunate to be married to Wickham because he'd just be very <laughs> selfish in every aspect of his life mm-hmm. and honestly probably like an STD um, he's a fuck boy Wick- Wickham yeah. is, is- <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, so it's just so interesting, like how your perspective can really change, like once you're like put in like a position where you're playing as Mm -hmm. a character. So I was just thinking about your comment about how your perspective changes when you're playing as a character. And it it made me think about another game that I'm actually doing some writing about in my dissertation called Obey Me. I don't know if any of you have heard of this (gasps) one. I know what this game is and I love it. So for those of you that don't know Obey Me, pretty much what the premise is, is that there are the seven demon brothers of hell and you end up getting sucked down to the devildom and you have to go to high school with them. It's a whole thing. You play through the story, etc. It's got its issues. It's got its problems, but its character design is not one of them. No, oh, its character design is so it's, good. It's so good. But what's really interesting about it, uh, and I think with a lot of Otome games, is that your main character is very open to interpretation.
action. Like they don't show you your main character and they only use the yep. pronouns throughout the entire game so that it can kind of be open to whoever and is you barely notice. Yeah. And one of the things that's so interesting about this is it spawned like this really big kind of MC main character fan creation culture. So there are all these artists and people commissioning art of their OCs and what they look like and what their costumes are and what their backgrounds are. And it's just so fascinating that kind of self-insert aspect of mm. the romance in this case. And it's so cool how fandom gets involved. Yeah. It's just yeah. so cool. I don't want to get us too off track, but Ayani, I absolutely have to ask if you know Mystic Messenger. So I do, but I didn't play it <laughs> because they were like, they'll message you all the time. And I was like, I have a lot of I can't message well, these okay. like, men all the time. Can... And then I downloaded Obey Me <laughs> and it's the same thing. So it is. Obey the Obey Me guys are always texting you too. Anyway. They really are. <laughs> but like Mystic Messenger, like if you play with the settings, it doesn't intrude too much. Mm-hmm. But that one actually, <clears throat> that one actually had one of the stories that I was just like, oh my goodness. Like you get, sometimes you get so involved in them. And, and some of these games that are like, this is like Mystic Messenger was definitely one that I was thinking of when we were talking about how if like it's frustrating if you run into something where you're like, I can't make this choice. Mm-hmm. So and, and I, like I can't type in that I would like to do something that is not programmed into the game. <laughs> Yeah, I've had moments like those. But alas, we're not there yet. No, not yet. Not yet. But I've, I've definitely had moments where I've been like, I wouldn't do either of those things, but I guess I'll pick it to see what, you know, happens. Right. This is so fun. No one like nerds out with me about Otome games. So I'm really happy to have this. It's it's extremely <laughs> like a relief to me because I'm like half the time when I try to explain what an Otome is, people are like looking at me like when I was writing it, especially so trying to explain it to my mom or my mother's friends, they're just like, <laughs> OK, Kristen. Sure. Oh, yeah. That sounds sure. Everyone teases me. They're like, oh, you're playing with your demons again. And I'm like, this is for research, guys. I mean, yes, but also it's for research. Okay. So like I I the smart, the the very smartest people make the research the play. Yeah. And that's how I have more board games than board game storage. That's how we all ended up here. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it's nice to, you know, have communities and enjoy things with people. So I, I'm glad we are getting to do this. But, you know, I think like it's it's also interesting, too, though, when you're reading romance novels, I, I feel whether or not I, I like them in the end, like also depends on how like status it gets back to like a satisfactory ending here. I'm going to tell a story that's going to make me sound like a narcissist, but I swear <laughs> I'm not. I, I was in an 18th century reading group during grad school and one of my co members does work on like 18th century carriage accidents and their role in literature and it's fascinating it is so cool in the show notes because it's amazing and she discovered this contemporary romance novel called Lady Maybe whose main character's name is Hannah Rogers and oh, I was snap. like well and, and and she gets into a carriage accident and I was like yeah I gotta read this obviously so so Lady Maybe is by Julie Klassen and unbeknownst to me it turns out that this is like her mainstream novel but she's mostly known for like writing like Christian romance novels anyway that that's a side note that's 
that's important later. So I, I read this novel and basically the main character, Hannah, it feels like I'm talking about myself, but the main character, Hannah, gets into this carriage accident and then she like lives with this Lord and he's, you don't know why, but he's helping her by pretending that she's his wife and she's in a love triangle with this dude. It's been like five years since I've read this. So this is a bad story. She's in a love triangle with this dude and like also a hot lawyer. Ooh. And she should have chosen the hot lawyer. Like she 100% did, but she doesn't because the other man, it turns out, is the father of her baby and they had an affair or whatever. And now like they have a chance to be together and it's bleh. The But I found, I fell down this rabbit hole actually after I discovered that this was like her mainstream novel. I did this because like I read the Amazon reviews and people weren't complaining because they like agreed with me that like the love triangle was unsatisfactorily resolved. They were like complaining because it was too spicy. <laughs> they were used to her. They this were is such her, a like... point of contention. Yeah, so they were like more like they were reading her because they knew her from like her like clean quote stuff and then they they were mad about how it was like sexual situations. Mm. And also I'm, I'm sure that there's someone in these reviews who's also like irritated that it's still Christiany. So then I like decided to read her other novels because I was tired of reading Jane Eyre. And it's always about Jane Eyre. <laughs> and writing my chapter on it. So I, I like fell down this like Christian fiction rabbit hole and her like other novels are not as spicy as this one, shall we say. But in a couple, there's some sneaking out with a clergyman and kissing <gasps> before marriage. And like, they use the phrase make love, but like in a not sexual way, but people apparently don't know that you can use that phrase in different ways. So like I also discovered reviews angry about how spicy the clean ones were. So we just <laughs> kept... This is like a real problem in romance. Like people get extremely in, uh, let's say they get their panties in a bunch over heat level. <laughs> so like heat level or is it, it's, it's, there are some books that just kisses happen. There are some books where it's, they're called closed doors where all of the sex happens behind like the end of the chapter is always like and then they did it and like you don't get like, <laughs> and scene <laughs> right exactly and like when i was writing for voltage their heat level is pretty low mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. like there's i have been in situations as a romance novel where people have told me to sex it up it wasn't sexy enough i have been told we want everything except you're not allowed to say anything about penetration <laughs> so how do you want me to do this <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure they're like go all the way but no, you gotta find a way it. to be like and then they were on top of each other and nature took its course <laughs> <laughs> Do it just like that. That's very sexy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's, that is extremely sexy. But I don't, like my books, I always thought are sort of like a medium heat level. They're like they're all of the sex is on page, but it's not. Say there's another there's like uh, another author I like called Kit Rocha, but they're ex they're extreme erotic novels. So they usually, if it's anything past just like regular sex, whether or not it's LGBTQ, it's called erotica so anything that's past like this sort of vanilla stuff maybe like some sort of like 50 shades -y stuff but what it, let's not get started huh. there <laughs> I, yeah. I, See, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to rate my books now Kristen. i just the the one my third one about the succubus is the the spiciest of the bunch <laughs> and the nature of that one just sort of called for that so it was definitely a bit more descriptive than the others you know this could be an interesting conversation mm -hmm. i feel like there is art to writing a good sex mm -hmm. scene 
because I've read like some very artful descriptions. And on the other hand, I have read some lines and I realized this is also personal taste too. So I'm not trying to dog anyone, but I was reading one of the Bridgerton novels and the man said, I'm not a gentle pony. And it just made me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) I love those Bridgerton novels, man. I am so excited. And I love the show too. Like, I think that they did a really great way of like the, the thing that I think most romance novels were nervous about is like the way that the women's pleasure translates mm-hmm. onto screen because it's very easy to make it like horny and like too much of a gaze that you wouldn't recognize if you read the novels but I think is like right on like it's right in mm-hmm. that pocket like all of those scenes are very sexy to the point where you're like this is maybe a little uncomfortable but that's what you want like <laughs> you you want to get like right to the point where the person is I don't know if I should be watching this or reading this with other people around <laughs> and, 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 and that's the sweet spot <laughs> yes that's the sweet spot yeah. so well, so this makes me ask a question though you know as a researcher my head is always in my research but I do some work on like pornography and pornography studies and the question that I always come across is like, okay well what is that line especially if you're talking about porn that's say made by and for queer people by and for women etc right if we take kind of the quote-unquote mm-hmm. male gaziness out of it, then where's that line drawn? So I know a lot of my work is, for example, with comics and with visual mediums. So I I often wonder what that line is like between, say, like your steamiest erotic fiction that you'd classify that way. And at what point does it then become pornography? Is there a line? Do we want to draw a line? Question. I don't know. I think that what is it that they people always say about porn? I know it. I'll know it when I see it or something like that. Yeah, that's the legal definition. Yeah, <laughs> that's the official legal definition. But I mean, all like this stuff is just, it's been so discussed. Like, even if you think of Madonna mm. back in the day and the sex book and and things like that, like, they're just, I guess it's always like personal taste. So it's, and again, I come back to that. If you don't want to engage with it, then you don't engage with it, you know? So I don't see any reason why we can't have a heat levels thing in romance. So it's, if you know that an author writes the kind of stuff that you want you go back to that author consistently Mm -hmm. you know like I have my girls which we already we mentioned one Julia Quinn and actually we mentioned another Courtney Milan is great Sarah McLean is great so I have like writers that I know that I can trust I think that's another strength Mm -hmm. of romance is that a lot of people will write multiple books so you can know that you're gonna like canon and just keep coming back to it you know but I think that maybe the way that women and queer people look at porn might be a little different than like I mean obviously it is a little different it's a lot different than the traditional male gaze but you also sort of can't make that decision for anybody Mm. else you know so there's no way to define it because you can't tell somebody else how they feel about something Mm. sexual Mm. so I don't I mean that's obviously not any sort of answer to that question but it's the closest that I can get to it I guess because I mean if we're like we could go to work and would tell us that maybe even a Tomei is bad for us. <laughs> 
you know, that actually makes me think again to, I feel like when we talk about romance, we can't escape the romance writers of America because mm. it's just such a, like a big organization that like has for better or worse and, and recently perhaps for the worse influenced like how we define the genre. Um, Some really good people and, did try valiantly to save the RWA. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Which I guess we should talk about that. But I was, you know, I was thinking like I, as I was reading the history and I've linked some of that in the show notes, like they also were like at one point we need to make our covers not so porny because George W. George Bush is, you know, I have to check which Bush, but you know, Bush, oh, let's just say <laughs> Bush is freaking out about, you know, like porn. And is that about the amount of Bush in the, the world? world? Oh, yeah, there we are. And, and everyone was like, okay. That's only well, 70s porn, Wayne. Okay, um, you're right, you're right. And, it, it, and WRA eventually dropped it. But yeah, I mean, you know, and in fact, actually, funny enough, one of the comments we got when we published the blog was Mav had added some like romance novel covers and the comment we got was your covers aren't steamy enough <laughs> that's great kudos to that person <laughs> <laughs> i i also think that i don't know i going with the your covers aren't steamy enough i kind of feel like most a lot of the covers aren't steamy enough anymore both of my covers are dudes without heads this was very <laughs> specific for me because i didn't want to lock you as the reader into uh your fantasy. I'm not going to tell you too much of what he looks like. You can go ahead and imagine what this man looks like on your own. It could be yours. And both of them are like very much like painting and uh, since I write British historical they're very like in that vein. And a lot of the other covers that I see lately, I mean, albeit minor or years old now, the trend now is to have these very bright comic covers that are all like usually drawn and they're beautiful. They're just so different from what romance mm. covers used to be. So like it, it made a really sharp turn very quickly into these very animated covers. And I don't More know if I could... graphic design than... Very than much so. Sort of, yeah, graphic yeah, design. Yeah. It's like most literary fiction now has like uh, brightly colored geometrics. Mm, and most romance know. now mm -hmm. has a couple, whatever that couple is, and like beaches or like sunflowers. <laughs> it's uh, very much not my thing. It's a lot of people's thing. It's just strange to me because they start to look like children's books to me. And then that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Hard to be steamy in that style. Yeah. 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 I, I guess like we, we probably should, like we've alluded to it, but I guess we probably should talk a little bit about the RWA and what's up with them. Because I actually, as someone who's not a member of the community and never has been, I didn't realize the pool they had over the genre until 2019 yeah. when the drama came and everything blew up. And I don't know if Evelyn, if, if you as someone who was actually a member want to like briefly recap or if you want me to attempt to explain. You can attempt to explain because I will say that I quit before everything went down. So I quit in like 2017, I think, shortly after I quit Facebook <laughs> because I just couldn't like they weren't I did not feel like I was getting anything out of it. So they have yeah. a lot of forums where people could talk to each other, but I'm very much a lurker. I'm not like a, a the type of person who like jumps into things. So I would just I would never have time to read the boards. I'm like, most of the time I'm writing anyway. And I felt like I was spending a lot of money on conferences that weren't doing anything mm. for me. So like I would go to their conference from 2013 to 2016. I went to the conferences and it just, it was like a big money sink for me. And it wasn't like, it's not to say that you can't get anything out of yeah. it. It's just that I did not. So that was like, and I was like, well, this is for me, this is just a, a loss that I can't have on my spreadsheet anymore. <laughs> 
and <laughs> <laughs> right. So thank I was actually very glad that I had I had made that decision personally after what happened in in a organization that was founded by a black woman in the first place. Yeah, right. So basically what happened is and I've linked to articles so I won't go too in depth, is that like over time the RWA has, leadership has gotten more conservative and for the big two like points of like major contention although there's a, there is so much going on behind the scenes and a lot of things um that like like people like have cited like microaggressions for years and years and we talked a bit about the homophobia that was also rampant in mm. Pe- the people made speeches at conventions calling people out on that mm. you know yeah and it um, still yeah. didn't really make a dent in it as we will see yeah so so basically there there was a lack of leadership and diversity in leadership and awards is like npr puts it and they got called out for both this and then there there was a huge kerfluffle with courtney milan where she was just targeted by someone because courtney milan pointed out that her book was racist Mm. um and there, there are just overall, there was like a lack of support um, for people of color. And Courtney Milan worked super hard and actually received an award like previously for like her diversity work and trying to make the RWA more inclusive. Mm-hmm. So there was like a mass exodus from the RWA. There was a reckoning. And one of the things they did was they got rid of the Rita Awards. And the Rita Awards, like, it used to like, be just, the biggest award yeah. in the genre. So if you won a Rita, you were set. Like, yeah, you like, were like, a name pretty much after that and they, they've and they also had not only not awarded people of color awards like like the statistically like n- almost never but they also right. awarded books that were super awful and problematic mm. things as well like there was a judging just, scandal too because the Rita was judged by the members so like a lot of people were putting their personal opinion into judging the Rita and their personal opinions were odious <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so after all this two years later 2021 they actually like part of the thing they did is they got rid of the Ritas and they instituted the Vivian Awards which are you know is named after the original founder Vivian Stevens and that that didn't work out for them because there was a new controversy because they can't seem to learn from their mistakes where in in the category of romance for religious or spiritual elements they awarded the book at love's command with the Vivian Awards and it and it it, it opens with indigenous genocide and like the hero of the novel participates um, oh no oh yeah oh, so <laughs> i think it, it's super important to point this out about rwa since it, it it has such a big hold over the genre and i think that a lot of people who i who love romance think about it as inclusive as a place like, you know you can find comfort you can find a happy ending there's something for everybody but like that there's also like a huge problem with the community and some of the books that are being awarded and written and like people who would be a question of you know who defines what romance is what are the like politics in these stories like what are we romanticizing Mm -hmm. I mean I know I for one I would like to have a genre organization that I feel like I could get behind but that is not possible for us right now I kind of thought that something else would spring up once the once things really went down with the RWA and it exploded I thought there was going to be an offshoot or maybe a different organization but that unfortunately 
unfortunately did not happen. So I actually don't know how much longer they'll hold much sway over the industry. I think that it started waning when all of these controversies first popped up, you know, and I think yeah. that since then they lost pretty much their credibility, even though, again, lots of great people did try to save it. And like people even ran for the board after that and really tried. It just it's not what it once was. It would be great if we had something else, but it would also be great to not be beholden mm. to mm -hmm. someone to define anything for us. I, I think the thing that really is a shame is that now there's not really an award to go to that, mm. that romance authors can aspire to. Because like I do, when I first started writing romance, I was like, oh, it would be so great to win a Rita. You know, like I do remember thinking that uh -huh. like the Rita was a big deal. Like people would, people really wanted them. They were, and it wasn't just because of the sales. Like often it didn't translate to more sales for an author, but it was about like the community and getting your name out in the community, you know, but who knows? Maybe we should make up a new romance <laughs> award. Someone needs to change that. <laughs> it's not me. So just rewinding a little bit after this conversation, I was thinking or ruminating on the comment about the <laughs> illustrated covers and how sometimes they feel a little bit more juvenile, I guess. They're, they lack the steamy quality, but it made me think a lot about like <laughs> romance comics and romance manga and how steamy and sexy some of those books can get and how thinking about, I don't know, just thinking about how illustration can be used to tell these kinds of romance stories. I was mm -hmm. really into like girls romance stories when I was in high school and I have so many books downstairs. I was trying to go and pull some titles, but that was something that I was super into and it makes me just think about the different ways that the genre can work. I know there are definitely kind of steamier, let's say romance comics for adults as well. And also and oh, yeah. Wayne and Hannah, correct me here too, but like romance comics were huge. I want to say what the 50? They were huge in, okay, comics history. The first official romance comics was called Young Romance and it was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, creators of Captain America and Jack Kirby, creator of most of the Marvel Universe, co-creator. The statistics I've read say that in the late 40s, early 50s, romance comics accounted for roughly 25% of oh, all wow. comics sold. Wow. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and that was a time with Westerns mm -hmm, and crime mm -hmm. comics and superheroes and funny animals and wow. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I use that as an example. Anytime I'm talking comics history, there's that cliche of comics has been a boys club and not for girls. Those were books that were aimed very specifically at a female audience and a 25% sales rate tells me girls were reading mm -hmm. comics. So, and, and that changed I, over the years, certainly. Mm, but yeah. yeah. I also want to um, just add, as a side note, I'm not going to lose my chance to plug this. Velvet Was the Night, the new novel by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, takes place in like 1970s Mexico City. And the main character loves reading secret romance, you know, like romance comics. And she like, you know, desperately wants her life. Like she's Catherine Moreland from Northanger Abbey. She desperately wants her life to be like a novel, <laughs> like these comics to be exciting and well, be a main character. The thing is, they, they were aimed at, at a young female audience, but they were mostly written by old white dudes. And <laughs> if you look at the plot of almost every Typical. romance comic from, yeah, if you, yeah, if you look at the plot of any romance comic from back then, similar themes came up. They, it was a warning story. Mm. It's okay to flirt and be attracted to the wild boy, but at the end of this 22-page story, you better settle down
down with a nice boy next door who has a good job. <laughs> and, and, and that My was the moral are all like of, run off with the wild boy sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, and but that was like moral of all of them. But you know, the crime <laughs> comics were similar. Like they they spent many pages showing this life the criminal was you know, with girls and guns and money and all this stuff. Oh, and by the way, he goes to the electric chair at the end. So don't oh, do that stuff. I <laughs> mean that that is that has been going on since at least the 18th century. <sighs> oh, oh yeah, horror and crime stores. being yep, yeah, they're being you know they're morality tales. But it's funny how in this morality tale they really make that lifestyle look incredibly positive. For <laughs> more pages than <laughs> the execution, but the but the romance comics very definitely followed that, and then their popularity fell off. I mean they they were still published. Romance comics as a subgenre still appeared from both Marvel and DC up through the early 70s and just kind of died out. But yeah, there have been all kinds of stuff since then. You know, Love and Rockets, yeah. one of my all-time favorite books, mm-hmm. which is a mishmash of many genres. Romance is, is at core of that book. So yeah, it, but it's also very adult. And you know, comics like everything else, they're the romance books that very easily slip into pornography. Mm. You know, they're just straight up porn books. Meanwhile, I was just but, thinking about Sailor Moon and how that was like the first like <laughs> manga to make me blush. <laughs> I like what Ayani said about the illustrations is such a good point, and I actually hadn't even like thought of it in that way. But the covers is different than say like in an Otome. If you earn a special mm-hmm. picture, it's often <laughs> it's often like you get the picture of the dude, and it's one, two, three, four, eighteen abs. Is that possible? <laughs> Yeah, that's true in comics as well. The the, the ninety superheroes just multiple unlikely abs. <laughs> that's my next band name. Multiple unlikely oh abs, or just unlikely abs is a good one. Unlikely abs. It's a bunch of fat dudes playing guitar. So, <laughs> so, so we've probably resolved nothing at yeah. this point, right? Although I, I think we resolved read romance yes. novels, and I think yeah. it's a, an exciting time for romance as like a genre. I don't know what everyone else's thoughts about the future of romances, but I once again want to mention Bridgerton because season two is coming Ooh, out in March. Season two is coming I'm so out. Excited. Anthony's gonna fuck um, the girls up. <laughs> <laughs> you aren't uh, even gonna believe it. She's gonna be torn up by one of them first, though, and that's gonna be great. I very much enjoyed that Netflix preview clip, but it, you know, you know, Bridgerton is like the show that like made everyone realize, you know, like Hollywood typically does every once in a while when, like, you know, Twilight or like Hunger Games or something like is a hit and there's a woman attached to it. Like, oh, women like to read things too. I guess we should adapt their books. Oh, well, we They'll forgot. make us money. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, yeah. Um, so like, it's wonderful that people are finding value in like romance and like happily ever afters because there's a lot of ro- like a lot of romance and sexy things on TV which uh, you all know about really. But, you know, there there is like a lot of love trying to, you know, you always hear me whine about that. This like, reason Abby, I had to stop because it was stressing me out because there's like, no happily ever after. It just keeps going. <laughs> but there's something beautiful yep. about the happily ever after and they're finally doing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd like to thank our guests for being here. That was a, a great conversation. Glad we finally got around to this. Uh, yes. Any place where work can our, our listeners find you or do you have anything you want to promote? Oh, yes. So, of course, I want to promote the podcast that I'm on, Sex, Love, Literature, which you can find on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you search at Sex, Love, Lit. And of course, we are on any podcast platform, wherever you like to listen. You can just search for 
sex love literature uh, and you should find us there we actually recently had an episode with uh, the romance author leah riley she actually came on to talk love triangles with us which was a lot of fun so for folks who are interested in romance you can find some love over at sex love literature but if you're just curious about me you can find me on twitter at ayani does stuff all one word or you can find me on instagram at ayani does things my name is spelled a-y-a-n-n-i it's much easier when you like spell it people are like ayani how does that work but also my cat chloe has come to say hi i don't know if you can hear her purring but she's on my lap purring into the Yay, mic chloe. so chloe is also here hi, chloe. you can find pictures of her on my instagram if you're curious she's giant and fluffy but yeah that's me oh Kristen evelyn Kristen evelyn yes so real name Kristen, fake name evelyn you can find me under all my fake stuff for at evelyn price on twitter so it's price with a y everybody always it gets that wrong <laughs> i recently had someone buy a wrong book for evelyn price with an i and was asking me why i was writing this extreme like erotic romance about a pool boy <laughs> that one's not me i actually but i did read it and like it so so other i've i've, I've been to your pool so <laughs> other evelyn price did a great job but this evelyn price writes mostly historicals i've never written a contemporary so but most of my stuff you can find on my twitter i always post things and scandal nuts will come out this year i'm not sure what month but you can find that from hearts choice games and that's also at choice of games there are a bunch of narrative games on that site if you want to play any of the interactive fiction maybe dip your toes in that cool hannah should, should, should you should, should you and i just skip the thing mab always asks us where to find us and we go i don't know i mean you, you can find us here also i'd, I'd have to say at the risk of sounding like a stalker again chloe is oh, beautiful thank you she's she's a terror and an angel i love her <laughs> So, so I, I, I can second like following you because if only for cat because that's an, an amazing. <laughs> oh, you hear that, Chloe? You're amazing. Yeah. Yes, I am fabulous, well, mom. Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for being on the show, Chloe. Okay, so I, I'm going to attempt to do this closing thing that Mav always does, and it's going to have to be edited because I'm not him. But anyway, you can follow the show at on Twitter, Instagram, or on Facebook, all the places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast. Cast.com, where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week and you can leave us comments on this or any other show or suggest topics and say anything else and sometimes we pick guests from the blog if you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do please subscribe to us on itunes or stitchers or spotify or wherever the hell else you get your podcasts from and do us a favor leave us a five-star review that really helps us out especially if you leave a five-star review not just a rating on itunes at podcast that gooses the algorithm and makes us more popular it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy that's actually Mav talking there it makes him feel yeah. all warm and fuzzy it makes me feel good too, but, but mostly Matt. I'd like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to one, once again thank our guests for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye! Goodbye!